0: Accessing library computer data. Level 9 authorization required.
1: Command codes verified.
0: Welcome to Moms Going Boldly, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Moms Going Boldly is two moms who love Star Trek and who also happen to have children on the autism spectrum. We talk about the new Star Trek Discovery TV series, as well as any autism issues we see along the way. I am your host, Elizabeth,
2: and with me is my co-host, Vicki. Hi, I'm Vicky. We are Moms Going Boldly. The following episode was recorded in July, 2021, when Elizabeth paid a visit to the 13th Warehouse podcast to record a bonus episode of TNG's The Most Toys. So welcome to the warehouse.
3: Welcome to the 13th Warehouse. This is Doug with the credits for the bonus episode, Star Trek, The Next Generation, Season 3, Episode 22, The Most Toys. Guest starring Nehemiah Persoff as Toph, Jane Dolly as Varia, and Saul Rubinick as Kivas Vajo. Created by Gene Roddenberry. Written by Sari Goodhearts. Story editor Ronald D. Moore. Directed by Timothy Bond. Original air date, May 5th, 1990. And now the quick cap of the most toys. He who dies with the most toys wins. Malcolm Forbes. Data is kidnapped by trader Kivas Fajo as he shuttles a dangerous material to the Enterprise. The material is needed to repair a water contamination on Beta Agni 2. The shuttle explodes with no explanation, leaving the crew of the Enterprise believing that Data is gone. Still having to complete their mission, the crew must travel to another location a long distance away to acquire more Hytridium to complete their mission. Meanwhile, Kivas Fajo has added data to his collection of rare and one of a kind items. Data refuses to be compliant until Fajo threatens to kill Varia, one of his own crew who we discover is also one of his victims. Back on the Enterprise, Geordi and Wesley cannot find an explanation for the shuttle explosion and Geordi is finding the whole incident difficult to accept. If he were able to find the cause of the explosion and make sense of it, he would be more willing to accept the grim fact that Data is gone. When Geordi suddenly realizes that Data did not follow proper protocol during the third fateful shuttle launch and the away team discovers sabotage in the water contamination, they begin to look at Defazio more closely. They discover that he is also a collector of rare items, and Data is a rare item. Back on Fajo's ship, Varia offers to help Data escape, but only if he agrees to take her with him. The alarm sounds bringing Fajo and his men to the shuttle bay to thwart the escape. Kivas kills Varia in cold blood. After a struggle, Data is able to get his hands on the weapon, and before he can fire at Kivas, is transported back to the ship. The transporter detects that the weapon has been discharged and is able to disengage it before the transportation process was completed and before Data fully materializes back on the Enterprise. Fajo is taken into custody. The items in his collection will be returned to their rightful owners. Data makes a point to visit Fajo in the brig to inform him that the collection that he was so proud of is now gone, and he is left with nothing.
4: stardate 43872.2. In order to neutralize a sudden contamination of the water supply at the Federation colony on Beta Agni II, we are procuring 108 kilos of hydritium from the Zabalian trader Kivas Fajo. Because pure hydritium is too unstable for our transporters, Lieutenant Commander Data has been shuttling the material to the Enterprise.
2: Hi, this is Vicky, and we're back with a bonus episode. Star Trek, The Next Generation, Season 3, Episode 22, The Most Toys. And the geek in me was just giddy about Brent, Spiner, and Saul Rubinek working together on this story arc and warehouse. So I desperately wanted to do a bonus episode of The Most Toys. And Kim not being a Star Trek fan at all, I asked my friend Elizabeth from our podcast, Mom's Going Boldly, and she agreed to come and guest host this with us. Hi, Elizabeth.
1: Hello, everyone. So poor Kim, who doesn't like Star Trek? I mean, who doesn't like Star Trek?
2: She doesn't. She doesn't. It's too bad.
1: Maybe she just hasn't met the right Star Trek yet. No,
2: I think she should start with Deep Space Nine.
1: I was going to suggest the very same thing. And you know, Voyager has really retained such relevancy. Yes. In what, almost 30 years? 20 years? 20? 20... I don't want to do the math because it'll depress me.
2: Well, the cruise we went on last year was 25th anniversary of Voyager. Wow. So I have to imagine 25 years from when they started.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, I would definitely um, introduce her to Deep Space Nine. Yeah. That's
2: Deep a good
1: one. It's
2: so relevant still.
1: Yep. And still. you and I share that love. It's my also my absolute favorite of the series yeah. as well.
2: So one of these days I'll talk her into it.
3: <laughs> yep.
1: Good. Um, now, the most toys. I, I wouldn't start her there. No. That one's kind of a quirky one. But when I went back and rewatched it for today. Yeah. I realized it's still a really good episode. Saul Rubinek is brilliant.
2: Absolutely, yes.
1: And Brent Spiner was also brilliant. And I don't think I actually really appreciated the texture of the performance until I went back and rewatched it. Because, you know, do we want to, like, talk about the episode a little bit for anyone who hasn't seen it or hasn't seen it in a while?
2: Oh, yeah. Whatever you want to talk about. Please. So
1: the basic premise is is that Saul Rubinek plays a traitor like a merchant, you know, a space merchant named Kivas Fajo, And he also collects things. He's like the collector from the Marvel movies. And Mm -hmm. he wants all these unique and rare things. And so he's got even a baseball card that he's preserved the bubblegum scent. And he's got you know, endangered animals, the last of an endangered species. And so he decides he wants to collect Data, who is the android character played by Brent Spiner. And so that's what the episode is about. But it's more about, it's also about how Data and his programming to not hurt anyone and to make moral decisions is really put to the test by this incredibly immoral, amoral, character played by Saul Rubinek, and so the interplay between them data struggling with his morality and Saul Rubinek, Kivas Fajo displaying his complete amorality is really interesting juxtapositions
2: yes
4: clearly Mr. Fajo has no moral difficulty with my imprisonment here
0: Mr. Fajo has no moral difficulties at all do you I obey Fajo and so does everyone on this ship why Kivas finds ways to get what he wants from his people. His rewards for loyalty are lavish. His punishments for disloyalty are equally...
2: lavish. I have to say that this was not ever one of my favorite episodes until I watched it this time.
1: I have the exact same experience. It's not been one of my favorite either because I've been so put off Uh, by the Kivas Fasho character.
2: I've noticed over the years when I watch things for a podcast... I'm watching it differently. Yeah. So, yeah, this was never one of my favorite episodes, but this time, I don't know, I saw things differently, much differently.
1: And so what what was the impression you walked away with when well, you watched it this time around?
2: To the people who are listening, we're going to be jumping around. This is not going in any kind of <laughs> order. Well, one thing I noticed at the end when Kivas catches them trying to escape.
1: Yeah.
2: And at the very end when there's some, I don't want to say confusion, there's some question. There's some question about whether or not Data fired. Now, every time I've watched this before, I was, of course he did. I thought they were trying to give us the impression that he had some sort of emotion. That's how I always took it anytime yeah. I watched it. But this time, I don't know, he muttered something under his breath like, I can't let this continue. continue. Yeah. So then I was thinking, well, maybe data being data is just making the logical decision because what else can he do?
1: So this is going to be like the who shot first question with Han and Greedo in Star Wars, right? (laughs) Because did he actually shoot the gun out of anger, or did he shoot the gun out of logic? And I think the thing that makes it difficult for that question is the very last scene. Exactly. Where Kivas Fajos is now in the brig and he's behind a force field and he's trapped just the way Data was trapped. Yes. Um, in his collection And he said, this must give you a great deal of pleasure And Data responds I can't feel pleasure, I'm just an android And yet, you know He's feeling pleasure Or at least some yeah. satisfaction
2: Exactly, he played that so perfectly He did That it almost seemed like there was Kind of like a na-na-na-na-na Feature <laughs> to, the <way> he, <laughs> to the way he said it Except that he said it like Data would say it yep. So you can't tell You feel as if he did get pleasure from it, but they left it so you really can't tell.
1: You really can't tell. And so the question is, was there, and I think you you hit right on the core of it with the writers trying to give us some suggestion. Was there an emotional response or wasn't there an emotional response? And I think that's also one of the reasons I struggled with this episode, because if there was an emotional response that was not consistent with the character, this is not a character with emotion. But what if... You know, when he said, just like you just said, I can't let this continue, and he shoots the gun because it's a logical decision, is there a sense of satisfaction from the logic of justice occurring, such that it agreed with his algorithms that this was now set right? The android version of pleasure.
2: (laughs) I wanted to do a lot of research on this episode and I didn't get to it because it was just a busy week. But one thing I did discover is there is a lot of, not controversy, there's a lot of different opinions about whether he actually did shoot. See, now I thought that he did fire. I still think that. But apparently there's a lot of people that think that he didn't because when he beamed back to the Enterprise and they told him that his gun had fired, he lied. If he did fire it, he lied and said, oh, it must have been a, a misfire. And Data doesn't lie. So did he lie or it was a misfire and he really didn't shoot it?
1: That's a good question. What do you think? You said you think he did fire it.
2: I think he did. I still think Which he did. Which means he lied. Exactly.
1: Please arrange to have
4: Kivas faja taken into custody on charges of murder, kidnapping, theft, arrangements have already been made. A Veron T disruptor. It belongs to faja Mr. O'Brien says the weapon was in a state of discharge. Perhaps something occurred during transport, Commander.
1: That would cause him to lie. If we go along the idea for putting aside the emotional piece, because I think if we think he has emotions, then the the episode becomes unsatisfying. It's, you know, it's not such a great episode. But if he's not using emotions and he's using just logic, then firing the gun is defensible logically.
2: Exactly. So why would he lie?
1: So why would he lie?
2: So I have no answer to that because it never occurred to me until I did a little bit of research of this episode. That was a big bone of contention with people.
1: Well, I, I do think he lied. And I think he did fire the weapon. And so the question is, why did he find it necessary to lie? And maybe it was a logical conclusion because if, because he might have had a difficult time explaining the decision to fire the gun. Or maybe he was concerned that he would be seen as dangerous If he was an android who could override the programming to not hurt people. Because he said it earlier in the episode, very early on, he said he was, and I I took note of this, the the writers stuck this in quite purposefully, that he was able to kill someone for defensive purposes.
2: And I wrote that down too, yeah.
1: Yeah.
4: I've been designed with a fundamental respect for life in all its forms, and a strong inhibition against causing harm to living beings. Tell me, Data, have you killed yet? No. But I am programmed with the ability to use deadly force in the cause of defense."
1: So that statement right there then takes us back to the reason he would fire the gun. It was somehow logically permitted within the parameters of his programming to shoot that weapon because he was defending, what, himself?
2: I don't take it that he's defending himself.
1: Others on the ship? I believe so. had just threatened somebody else.
2: Right. And other potential victims. Yeah. After he shot Varya.
1: Which we should probably let the listeners know in case you haven't seen this for a while or don't know it. He shot Varya in cold blood. Varya was his faithful assistant who had been with him for 12 years. And she was helping Data escape because Fajo had threatened to kill her and she was like she didn't want to deal with this anymore. And so when Fajo came in as they were trying to escape, he held the gun to her and she surrendered. And then he looked like he was going to not shoot her and then he changed his mind and shot her which meant that there was no heat of the moment anymore as we would say in the legal world. Right. (laughs) He shot her in cold blood just to see what would happen when he shot her with this terrible gun. Right. And so that was a component. It had to be part a component of Data's consideration. You know, who else was he going to watch disintegrate slowly screaming just to keep Data in line and cooperative?
4: Have you ever seen one of these Data? It is a disruptor. No, it's a prototype for a Varon disruptor. The Varon disruptor is banned in the Federation. It is the most lethal weapon. It's not just lethal. It's, it's, it's vicious is a body apart inside out and does it very slowly too. By your phaser standards, it's tortuous, very, very painful death. I've always wanted to try this.
2: Her character, um, there was a it, little it, creep factor with this. <laughs> there was a you little. You think
1: <laughs> <laughs> she's <been> so young? <laughs> the,
2: uh, yes, there is so a little.
1: This was an abused human being.
2: Yes, an abused child. Because he does say he came across her before she was an adult.
1: Yeah, Varia.
4: How long have we been together, my dear? Uh, 14 years. For- 14, 14 wonderful years they were. She was barely an adult when I found her. She was idealistic, naive, full of dreams.
2: And I made those dreams come
4: true too, didn't
2: I? So, like I said, I tried to do a little research. There's a deleted scene. Oh, really? There's a deleted scene where Fajo sends her into the room with data to see that every everything works.
1: Oh, my goodness, really? So he sends her in to seduce Data?
2: To make sure that all his parts work. So
1: So she is definitely a groomed, abused person.
2: Yes. And I always kind of found it creepy before I heard about that. And I have to wonder if they took it out because of that or it was just a time thing. Before I found out about that, I always said to myself, well, what's the point of collecting all these things if you can't show them to anybody? If they're stolen, you can't show them to anybody. But he seems to have this inner circle yeah. of people that he can show these things to.
4: When Taylor Toth learns of that, he'll swallow his tongue with envy. I can't wait to see his face.
2: Which led me down another road. Oh, yeah, you know,
1: I bet it did. And I just went down that road with yeah, him just now.
2: <laughs> right. And then especially yep. the fact that she was a child when he took her. Because she's a victim as much as anybody else is. Yeah. You know, she wasn't his assistant because she wanted to be. She was assistant because she was she was terrified of him.
1: Right. Um, and she also felt some loyalty to him because he took her out of a bad situation. So, and that's that's the worst kind of abuser—the ones who appear to rescue someone and then abuse them. You know, relying on that gratitude for the rescue.
2: Right. All I could think of, yeah, that was the road they were trying to take us down.
1: I've added a felted sex idol to my collection.
4: I got four of them. What? With the pearls intact? (laughs) Please, pearls were added by Ferengi agents to increase the value.
1: You know, and Saul Rubinek is a a wonderful character actor who did such a good job. You can't help but just absolutely despise this man. Oh, I know, I know. He was outstanding at this, and I was watching the role. And, you know, it's funny because in in the past, again, like you, it's not been one of my favorite episodes. I've been really put off by this horrible example of a person. Mm -hmm. But this time around, I really saw how much he was a spoiled child. He was a son of a wealthy man who had gotten everything in his life. Why have I been brought here? Oh,
4: (laughs) the the voice simulation, it's it's perfection. The the inflections, the (laughs) timing. Yes, uh, it took great effort, effort, to bring you here. (laughs) I was sure it'd be worth it. I was right. Why don't you accept your fate? You'll return to your chair and you will sit there. You will entertain me, and you will entertain my guests. And if you don't, I'll simply kill someone else. Him,
1: perhaps. And the way he, you know, just commanded people, just snapping his fingers. Like, at the very beginning, after they faked Data's death so that they could keep him, Mm -hmm. and they were talking to the Enterprise, and the Enterprise is like, we'd like to look at your sensor records.
2: I know what you're going
1: to say. (laughs) And he just snaps his fingers. Right. We detected no
4: malfunctions before the explosion. Everything seemed to be running as smoothly as the other flights. Were you able to save the pilot? No. (sighs) I'm sorry. Mr. Farger, I would like to analyze your sensor readings of the explosion. Compared to the enterprises, our sensors are rather primitive. I doubt they contain any information that your sensors overlooked. Perhaps, but I don't want to leave any avenue unexplored. I understand. We'll transmit the information.
1: That spoke volumes of the levels of the command he had over the people because he's not a moral character or a kind character or a, in any way a admirable character. What does that leave? That leaves loyalty imposed by fear. And that... One moment of snapping that finger just that just told you everything you needed to know about this man. <laughs> I know. yeah, I liked how also uh, when watching it again, how the layers of the moral complexity got deeper and deeper for data. At first, it seemed so cut and dry for him. You can't keep me here, and I won't stay,
2: and I'm not going to comply,
1: and I'm not going to comply. Yeah. And then and and I think that's another reason that led to data's decision to fire the gun. He was so entangled in the amoral, behavior that was just pulling him down and i like the way they did that those kinds of things where you make a decision and then you make another decision and then you make another decision and then all of a sudden you find yourself in a a quagmire yeah you don't think you're going there but that's and it reminds me actually if it's okay for me to do this about sure. an episode of voyager do you remember the episode where neelix was trying to find a map of the necrid expanse yes And he said this to Captain Jane Wayne. I made one decision and then another and then another. And then I found myself in a situation that I couldn't figure out how to get out of. And to me, that was the same kind of layers that data was forced
2: into. Right. Yeah. We're going to pause right here for a quick break. We'll be right back.
3: Hey, Dud Gramley here from Yeah, That Can't Be Good. If you're a fan of Warehouse 13, it is very likely you're also a fan of Eureka. And if you aren't, you should be. Please join Kim, Vicki, Skip, and myself over at Yeah, That Can't Be Good for an episode-by-episode podcast of all things Eureka. You can listen at EurekaRewatch.com on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: And we're back. So
1: what other things can we talk about about this episode?
2: There's a couple of what I think are kind of holes in the script. So we're to understand that when they finally figure out that data didn't follow protocol and there was something going on.
3: Okay, computer, now replay shuttle audio transmission time index 0439, third and final trip.
4: Loading is complete. I am proceeding with departure. Enterprise Shuttle Bay 2, prepare for docking. Level 1 precautions remain in effect. It's the last communication. He didn't report the
1: shuttle clearing the cargo bay of the Jovis. Of course, there really wasn't any reason for him to make voice contact.
3: He knew we'd be monitoring his position. And the other pilot might not even have bothered, but data not following standard procedures.
2: And they also right. found out that the water contamination was sabotaged.
1: Right. Which for the for people who don't remember the episode, Fajo purposely sabotaged a water supply so that the Enterprise would have to get a rare mineral to negate that sabotage that only he had.
2: Right. Obviously they figure out that he set this whole thing up. But he set it off up on the assumption that they would send data.
1: Yeah. Well, actually, but that's a good assumption. I think that showed that he had done his research.
2: Right. But they never say exactly why. I mean, I would imagine they sent data because he's less likely to to make a mistake. Yeah. This substance they're picking up is volatile. I felt like they should have said that somewhere along the line. Yeah. Because his whole plan was based on the assumption that they would send data to pick this up.
1: Or why not have data and somebody else? I mean, you know, right. was he willing and was he willing to kill that somebody else? Probably. Probably, yeah. Maybe the writers didn't want to have him be so despicable at the very beginning because his despicableness, desp- is that a word? Could <laughs> it, be now. <laughs> it, it, it grows on you like a fungus, right? He yeah. starts off seeming kind of like he's just this harmless guy who has this idea that he wants to put data in his collection. And then the real true amorality and evil is revealed over the course of the episode. So maybe they didn't want to have somebody else in the shuttlecraft be murdered right away because then you'd be right there already.
2: Right. True. Um,
1: but you're right. They could have made yeah, it a just, little bit clearer. I've I think just that this was it, a very dangerous situation.
2: Yeah. I just felt it needed to be mentioned because the other option is they sent data because he wasn't a human being. He was more expendable than the rest of the crew, which you know oh, is yeah, not the th- case. That wouldn't be the case, hopefully. Yeah.
1: No, my, my impression is that they sent him because he was the one who was going to be. Precise and careful, and not have the human error that can happen.
2: Yeah, but I just felt like I don't know. I just felt that wasn't communicated. They well. should have said it.
3: Yeah. Containment field stable. Gravitational fluctuations within acceptable parameters. Flight pattern.
2: I thought Worf had the perfect response when the shuttle blew up. Yeah. It was emotional. All he said was data, but it was un-Worf-like and emotional.
1: It was wounded. Yeah. Yeah, it was well done
2: because everybody else they were in shock for a second and then they all sprang into action but they did a close-up of Worf just saying data and it was a little emotional there Worf's was a big teddy bear yeah there <laughs> was a part early in the episode when they were talking to Faggio and Riker said they were fortunate that he had the what is it
1: Hytridium. Trid-
2: <sighs> Hytridium. Hytridium. they were so fortunate that he had the hydrideum and enough of it but the way he said it he said it like he was already suspicious
4: Mr. I realize we have acquired your entire supply of Hytritium. Do you know where we could obtain some more? That may be difficult. The only source I know is in the Sigma Irani system. Three weeks away, sir. And I can't guarantee they'll have any. For obvious reasons, no one wants to keep it around. In fact, even I may stop selling it. It's, It's just too dangerous. I guess we're fortunate you had any at all, sir
2: the way he delivered the line
1: yeah you know and sometimes Riker, he's done that before in other episodes where he comes across suspicious at times when you're wondering why he's suspicious there's nothing in the story to suggest suspicion and maybe that's just part of the character you know you know he's he's pushing a little bit just to see what will happen you're right you're right that does happen and it's happened more than once
2: yeah and i just kind of found it odd because he said it like he was suspicious and i thought it was going to go somewhere and it didn't and it finally did come up again when they were all looking into Fajo and discovered that he was a collector Riker then said so it wasn't fortunate that he had it he had it because he knew they were going to need it but at the beginning it sounded like he was already suspicious
1: yeah I remember that
2: so I've seen this series many times, but I cannot always pinpoint for what order the episodes go in. Like, in my rewatch right now, I'm in season seven. So I watch this just randomly without watching what came before, you know, for this podcast. Right. And I don't always remember what goes on in what episode. When I started watching this, because Wesley and Jordy were adamant that something was wrong, I immediately thought this was the shut up Wesley episode. (laughs)
1: That happens a lot earlier.
2: Yeah. Okay, so that was my question. And because I thought it was a lore episode.
1: Yes, it was. It was the first episode. It was the first lore episode with the Crystalline Entity.
2: Okay, so did that come before this episode?
1: Oh, yes, long before.
2: So then there was a lore. They know about lore. Yep. We have to imagine Fajo knows about lore. So Hmm. Data isn't a a one-of-a-kind at this point.
1: I'm not sure I would agree that Fajo knows about lore. Lore might be classified you Think, yeah, because yeah. I mean, think about it because of that.
2: I suppose, and, yeah, and
1: they dismantled him, didn't they? No, see, I can't yeah.
2: remember now what happens. No,
1: I think they flushed him out to and the crystal entity, took him.
2: I don't remember, and you don't know how many times I've watched these episodes. Oh, I know, I, I know, it's
1: so funny, it's been so long. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure they gave lore up to the, I mean, they like jettisoned him out, beamed him out to the crystalline entity.
2: Okay, so the assumption was that he just no longer exists. Yeah, I think okay. that was
1: the that was the assumption that he didn't exist. All right. I don't think they found him again until the episode Brothers when he responded to the homing signal that Dr. Soong sent out trying to get Data to return okay. just before he died. Okay. And then after that, we didn't see him again until that two-part episode Descent when he joins up with Lore joins up with the Borg right. with the individualized Borg. I never liked that one either. <laughs>
2: Well, I like it because they bring Hugh back. That's really the only reason I like it.
1: Only to kill him off in Discovery. (laughs) But let's not talk about that.
2: In Picard, yes, they did. Oh, no, Picard. You know, I stopped
1: watching that.
2: I struggled through the first four episodes. I mean, struggled.
1: Yeah, struggled.
2: Yes. And then I finally did begin to like it.
1: I stopped when the woman murdered the man who they had just rescued. He was lying on a hospital bed. Remember that? Blonde gal. Oh, and yes. And I was like, okay, I'm done. Oh, I'm just yes, kidding. yes. <laughs>
2: That's right. Right. That was, uh, was that the guy? Jeez. I always laugh with Kim. I say we should call our podcast Two Women Who Don't Remember Anything. Because <laughs> this is how all our conversations go, too.
1: <laughs> yeah, he was the one who was like, who knew about the uh, android.
2: Right, and he was the character. he was supposed to be the character from the next generation who the making of yes,
1: yes, oh, what's his name, Commander? yeah, in in the measure of the man. Yes,
2: that's the name of the episode, yes, yeah, Okay.
1: it'll come to me anyway, yes, him. yeah, when she murdered him. I was like, I'm done. i can't I can't deal with this anymore. First <laughs> they, they killed off the kid from Voyager, yeah, I hated that. It just was awful. yeah, and then so, and I was just like, you know what? I, I can't deal with this. Anymore. <laughs> so I stopped watching. <laughs> <laughs> this is not for me. This is not a Star Trek for me.
2: Well, I liked it, but it was a struggle for the first four episodes because I was like, okay, there is nothing going on here. <laughs> yeah. It was just a struggle.
1: Except, that, and this is what I didn't like, except killing off all these Previous characters, so that you could go off in your own direction and not have to worry about consistency with previous storylines. That's what it felt like to me. True, and and it felt sort of—I um, don't know what the right word is—sort um, of just not thoughtful, just sort of it, like it taking the easy way out. Yeah. Anyway,
2: yeah. Just some random thoughts because I find things ridiculous. Like, why is <laughs> why is Jordy wearing his uniform and his shoes in bed? Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs>
1: just resting okay (laughs) yeah you're right it would have been more a little bit more convincing if he'd actually been sleeping and it came to him while he was sleeping because that's the way it always happens to us we will remember the things we forgot during this recording at 3 (laughs) a.m
2: right and kivas must also sleep in his outfit because she told data he was sleeping and he came to the shuttle bay fully dressed
1: he is always ready
2: (laughs) that always makes me laugh do you watch the orville
1: no Oh, no, I know we should. We should watch that. Oh,
2: one. absolutely. It's so funny because, you know, on Voyager, Janeway gets a call. We're being attacked and she's in bed and she comes to the bridge in full uniform and her hair perfectly done. Yeah. How do you have that much time when you're being attacked? In the Orville, <laughs> if something happens in the middle of the night, the whole bridge crew shows up in their pajamas. And I think that's, oh, that's hilarious. Awesome. I think that's so funny. Real? Yeah. <laughs> And then the other thing, which I think is pretty much well known by everybody, is that Saul Rubinek was not the first person to play this part.
1: Oh, I did not know that. See, I never go look at the background of these stories. I just enjoy them. So that's awesome. So who did they have to play first? The,
2: the actor's name was David Rappaport. Th-
1: that is familiar.
2: So he shot for two, two or three days on this episode. Then over the weekend, he was supposed to come back Monday, he attempted suicide. Oh, no. So I, I guess Brent Spiner knew Saul Rubinek. They appeared together in something before, and Michael Pillar also knew Saul Rubinick and they knew he was in town. He did not do TV at this point at all.
1: You know, I've never actually looked into uh, Saul Rubinick's career. Does he do theater? I believe because so. he seems like a theater actor.
2: I believe so. He does television now. I've seen him in guest roles, and like you said, Stargate. Yeah. And now, obviously, on Warehouse 13. But at the time, he didn't do TV. But he was a huge Star Trek fan.
1: So he he was a fan. Oh that's good. Oh. He
2: he was a big fan, yeah, and they, he wanted to see the sets. So they made a deal that they'd let him come and see the sets if he'd play this part. At the last minute, he stepped into this part because... Wow, it he was... did
1: a magnificent job.
2: Absolutely, yeah, because it was already... They had already shot two days. So having come in at the last minute, he kind of made the character his own, I, I think.
1: He did, and he nailed it, and yeah. it's, you know, an indelible character. That's amazing. Anyway, well, cool. Well, this was fun. Yeah. So is... before we go... Hmm. When you introduce Kim to Deep Space Nine, are you going to start at the beginning or are you going to give her a particular episode to really wet her appetite?
2: I can't decide because the beginning's tough. Yeah, it is. I think, I mean, I think the Deep Space Nine pilot is the best pilot of any of the Star Trek series. I agree. But I think it, the beginning's tough. And I've said it before, and I don't know what it is. I feel like everybody's overacting. It's almost like they're overacting because they're making room for the special effects that are going to come in later. You know I what so, I mean?
1: Oh, you, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, that, that, that get put in at, um, yeah, in post. Yeah. Like they're
2: over, I don't know how to explain it. They're speaking louder, and they're just over doing it that's how i always felt about the beginning
1: i think you're right but they do get into it and they 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 really gel well yes they do i suggest introducing her to babel which is the fourth episode of the first season you know where they get the aphasia virus Yes, that one's a, that, that one's was a fun a good one. one. Yeah, and, and then I would do the passenger, yeah. which is the eighth. You know that one where it's the guy who manages to get inside Dr. Bashir's head. Yeah. So those kind of introduce the character as well.
2: There's others that I think she would enjoy, obviously, but you don't want to throw her in without right. knowing who. Because her. some
1: of them are so bad.
2: <laughs> oh yeah.
1: <laughs> But, you know, it's again, there's so many series like that where the first season, you, you know, they're, they're finding their feet, they're finding the characters, the characters are finding each other. And then once they gel, they're really good. After yeah, that, second yeah. season, third season.
2: Yeah, but even so. the first season, as bad as, as some of the episodes were, I still think it's a better first season than most, most of the series. Yeah, I think yeah. you're right. So yeah, I didn't have to talk her into that. I don't know if she's gonna go for it. But
1: can she be bribed? Pizza? <laughs> Ice cream? Yeah.
2: <laughs> We'll give it a shot. All right. If you don't have anything else about this episode.
1: Um, Just like you, I was really pleasantly surprised about how much I enjoyed it. Like you, I looked at it through a different lens when I watched it to talk about it today. And uh, I think it's actually a much better episode than I've ever realized.
2: Yes. I guess it ranks 95 in the top 100 of TNG. That's not bad. Not too bad, no, because I think there's 178 in total. Yeah, that's not too bad. So I guess I won't skip over it. (laughs) during my rewatches anymore.
1: I won't either anymore. I will appreciate the acting skills of, of Saul Rubinick and the layered complexity of the story that I have not appreciated before. And I'll try to ignore the creepy factor.
2: <laughs> I know. I wish I never heard about that scene.
1: Yeah. Well, but the implications were there. Now that you said it, the implications were yeah. there. And they were even there beforehand. I found her on the street when she was, you know, you try to, it's Star Trek, which is usually pretty family-friendly. So you right. try not to pay much attention to that because you want to stick with the family-friendly stuff. But, right. You You know, I think, you know, 25 years in the child welfare world, that wasn't lost on me. True. So, but I try to pretend it's not there because I don't want that in my entertainment.
2: (laughs) No, I get it.
1: Behave normally.
4: It falls well.
2: Well, thanks so much for doing this with me.
1: My pleasure, my friend. All right. You take care.
2: You take care, too.
4: Your only alternative data is to fire. Murder me. That's all you have to do. Go ahead. Fire. If only you could feel rage over various death. If only you could feel a need for revenge, then maybe you could fire. But you're just an android. Just don't count me up too quickly. I had you in my collection once. I can have you there again. Unlikely, sir. Your collection has been confiscated. All of your stolen possessions are being returned to their rightful owners. You have lost everything you value. It must give you great pleasure. No, sir. It does not. I do not feel pleasure. I am only an android.
0: You can continue exploring the universe with Moms Going Boldly by following us on Facebook at facebook.com momsgoingboldly boldly and on Twitter at moms going boldly. The music used on Moms Going Boldly is Without Limits by Ross Bugden Music. On Twitter, at Ross Bugden. Licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license, creativecommons.org.
2: You can listen to Moms Going Boldly on Podbean, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Player FM. And we're now also available on Apple Podcasts.
4: Transfer complete.